I'm pretty sure Michelle is like the biggest Sony stan. Are you a Sony stan, Michelle? All of us. He's never been madder at us, Michelle. Oh, Michelle. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I accidentally muted my the the. the f- Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, it is the Made for Google 2023 event. We are covering everything Google announced, Pixel 8, Pixel 8 Pro, Pixel Watch 2, updates to the Pixel Buds colors and features. We have a bunch of AI announcements, improvements to Google Photos, and a lot of camera features that are very exciting. And this went a bit under the radar at the event, but Android 14 is now official, so there's a ton to get through. Joining us this week, as always, Will Saddleberg. Aro Wagner, how are you doing? Just flew in from New York, and boy, are my arms tired. And then Jules put just like a laugh track right under that. Just uh, <laughs> like maybe some cheers from the audience. Boo, you stink! And Ara, you hanging in there? I- I'm hanging in there. I-, I need to make a fresh batch of pumpkin seeds because I'm down to like the last like eighth of a cup for my last batch. And I need more than that if I'm going to get through this week and then Prime Day next week. Now you need the sound of like you spitting a seed into a pail. Oh, I eat the whole thing. Mm. That's part of why I brine them. So that way the outer seed gets um, it's soft enough, but then it crisps up, crisps up enough that it'll just shatter in your mouth and you can eat it all. The outer hole is fiber. Mm. Mm. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so glad to be welcoming back Michelle Rahman, the... I don't even know how to describe you anymore because you're not affiliated with a particular place except perhaps your own Patreon, which we'll talk about later. But a huge welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, just a bit frazzled because yesterday was insanity. I was like 14 hours of watching the event, thinking of the event, going on to a podcast while I had another podcast while I hadn't even had lunch and uh, just continuing to dig and then realizing that there's still so much left to cover. Yeah, I know you're you're a very busy guy. Your time is extremely valuable, so thank you for making the time. Um, I heard a bit of your um, Android Faithful show, uh, preview show that you published earlier in the week. Uh, I assume all of your predictions came true because there was very little that Google was able to hide from us, except some of the software features that didn't make it into the product leaks. But I suspect you knew quite a bit beforehand. So we'll start with the hardware, I think is is where the majority of people listening would like all of you know, your and, and, and our and Will's opinions. The Pixel 8, Pixel 8 Pro, we knew a lot about these devices from leaks, but Michelle, based on the announcement, based on the narrative that Google was telling, what are your first impressions of the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro? So I think that definitely AI was the big focus of the smartphones and all the AI-enhanced software features in Google Camera, Google Photos especially that they announced. And it really feels like this is the generation where they're actually showing off the reason why they switched to Tensor. Like before, we had a couple of things that seemed like, oh, maybe we don't really need the Tensor. It was really necessary. Because, you know, they they still had the three years of OS updates and five years of security patches that kind of people criticized them for. Like, what's the point of switching to Tensor if you're not even beating other manufacturers when it comes to OS updates? And then they also had other AI-related features that they eventually just gave to everyone for free via Google One subscriptions anyways. So then kind of asking, like, 
what's the point of Tensor? But now we're kind of seeing things that seem to be only possible because of Tensor, the seven years of OS updates, um, because they have more control over the silicon and the components that go into it and the software, all these new features that they're talking about that take advantage of on-device machine learning. Like, I believe they said they're able to get their foundation model onto their device and a limited form of their large language models running, a form of Palm 2, they said. And like all these kinds of things, like we weren't seeing them take full advantage of the Tensor. We, did, we didn't see Tensor live up to its full potential, I think, until now. And I think that's the big takeaway from this generation. Like this is finally where Tensor is a mature platform. Yeah, I mean, Google did preview this at I.O. They, they called the foundation or the, the mobile optimized version of Palm 2 Gecko. That or something similar was is probably what's being loaded onto the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro. But I, I do wonder, there were a lot of Pixel 8 Pro-specific features that were announced. And, and I want to get to those exact features later on. But since we're on the topic of Tensor, do you have any speculation as to why they limited so many of the AI-heavy, ML-heavy features to the more expensive model? Do you think that Tensor is running at, say, a different clock speed, or the fact that it's a slightly bigger device gives it higher thermal headroom, or is this largely just to differentiate from a marketing perspective? I think it's probably most likely to differentiate the two devices, because you have a pro model that costs $300 more at a ba at base, right? The uh, Pixel 8 costs $699, and the Pixel 8 Pro costs $999, the base model. So, like, you need a lot of things to differentiate the two to kind of justify people gravitating towards the Pro model, right? Make it more attractive for them. And uh, there are probably certain things that just aren't technically possible on the non-Pro. You'd have to look at each feature on a case-by-case -case basis, but I'd wager that probably most of them would be possible to run on the non-Pro model. Like all the, the video boost, for example, that is a lot of that's done server side. It's not even available yet, but like I read the CNET article that talked about it. And they said a lot of that processing is done on Google's data centers, right? So obviously that wouldn't need to be limited to the Pixel 8 Pro necessarily, but uh, it's probably just being limited to that device for market differentiation purposes. So, Will, you went to the event. It was at, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, 537? Pier, Pier 57. Pier 57. I think you're combining I, that with Samsung Samsung A37. Yeah, that's right. So Pier 57, I've been there for uh, an event in, in the past. It's, it's beautiful. It is a stunning venue for any launch event. I think actually, was it the Pixel 4 event that was there? I want to say it was. So it's a nice venue. Google always puts on a really good show. Tell us about the experience of media being there, of seeing the presentation in person of getting to try the devices, of sort of the hangover afterwards as people get their devices and unbox them. Like walk everybody through that experience because it's, I think, quite interesting and very different from say a Samsung event or an Apple event. And I think some of that inside baseball might be gratifying for people to hear. I mean, yeah, I can do a full walkthrough. Stop me if I'm getting boring, I guess. I mean, I mean, it, it starts how all these events start, which is you show up and you wait in a line for, for your registration to get checked. There's a security check, all that stuff. They serve food. There's a breakfast bar, essentially, beforehand. And then 
you can go and take your seat at a certain point and and um taylor kearns and myself who were, who were both there you know went found a spot dead center um you can see exactly where I'm sitting if you watch the first two seconds of Michael Fisher's video, his interview with Rick Osterloh. Um, I'm, I'm in the first shot of that video. Yeah. It, and then you kind of just, I mean, Taylor and I were kind of working to get some of our coverage up on time before the event started. And then 10, 10.03, 10.04 rolls around. It was a little late and the event starts and it's... <sighs> I, both of the or i guess all of the the google events i've been to at this point which would be the pixel 7 launch the pixel 8 launch and 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 then io this year of the companies i've covered i feel like they are who are doing keynotes they are the ones who are still doing the most like in person on stage kind of thing right like yes. they which, so this is what i wanted to convey because yeah. apple gives you an infomercial it's literally Samsung just an infomercial yeah puts you in an amphitheater and shouts at you in really poorly phrased corporate speak if you're lucky samsung and it's 10 years ago samsung gives you a full stage play about how their (laughs) products will factor into your life and it's even though i was obviously not there in person it is still one of the most bizarre things i've ever seen on a live stream and if you're unlucky you get kind of what the s23 launch was this year which is like video with people on a big stage big empty stage and then more video and then people on a big empty stage and it's a little boring to watch and i think i think google strikes the balance well where like this was a bigger auditorium i guess than than what they did for the pixel 7 launch which which was very small but they still it's like a it it still feels like a a comfortable stage like it's not overwhelming it doesn't make the presenter look like minuscule they have a screen there to show demos but it's not taking up the entire space it's not a theater i think post covid they are doing kind of the best presentations in a certain way obviously apples are polished to a t but they also i think as we've talked about are starting to feel a little lifeless i guess yeah so you're there for the event and it's about an hour it started a little after 10 i believe it ended a little after 11 and for the most part we we knew a lot that was being announced there were a couple surprises that we can get into in a moment but you're kind of left to yourself after that you're invited to go out and and in pier 57 there, there are these long hallways and they basically had demos just lining the hallways and then in these like little conference rooms they set up like clear calling demos or fitness tracking demos they had treadmills there they had like exercise bikes and one of the google pr reps was like to me and taylor like do you guys want to try like fitbit tracking and and, and get on this treadmill at 11 to break a sweat yeah and we're like uh no we've got a long day ahead of us no that I thank you though say- don't you already do enough running around during days like this? Like, just yeah. let us set up the watch and we'll track it as we try to, like, rush around this content capture and then rush to the airport. Well, and 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 Taylor's in, like, jeans and a flannel. And I'm like, he's not, you're not going to want to run in jeans and a flannel. Anyway, so, yeah, you, you kind of wander around, you get photos, you get, you know, time. This is, I guess, the anniversary of the first event I went to, which was the Pixel 7 one. And it is interesting how quickly you grow adept at the ability to both gain impressions of a device while mostly just taking photos of it, um, which was something I was not at, as good at uh, last year as opposed to this year, um, where you're, you know, Daniel, you had already had time with the Pixel 8 Pro, so you you took that on. I, I wrote about the smaller Pixel 8. But yeah, you kind of just wander around when you're done in previous years they've had 
review units ready to go. They've they've sent out maybe like a questionnaire of what color preferences you would want, you know, stuff like that. This year, uh, a little more whimsical, they had in the check-in area, when you were going to leave, um, if you were a person who was getting review units, you would walk up and they would hand you this cute little checklist. It was like very like colorfully designed where you'd select uh, the stuff you wanted and then you took it to like the Google PR team and they would like put together your goodie bag in front of mm. you. It was very charming. That's probably for uh, FTC requirements. Oh yeah. But it's, 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 they, they made it a lot more fun than it was last year. Yeah. I'd say like they, they last year it was just when you're done, go to the desk, they see your name, they give you the bag that has your name on it. This year it was like, they want to talk to you. They, they wanted to ask opinions about the event and about the phones and, how we were feeling about the hardware and all that. It was it was a lot more um, informal. Is not the right word, but I don't know. It it had a it had a yeah it, yeah exactly. It had a better feel to it, and that's basically the event. And then Taylor and I wander around New York looking for a cafe before we wander into the world's largest Starbucks across from the Google Store and find a table and hunch over and write two editorials. <laughs> See, that's that's blogging. That is that's yeah. that's the real that's yeah. the real deal. So you. You did it. You got to the airport. You get. You got back. You survived. So yeah. that's the event. Let's talk about the the phones. So we'll start with the Pixel Eight. You wrote about how this is Google's weakest small flagship in years. I think that's going to be a controversial statement, but fair. Why do you think it's that? a bit of a dunk of a headline? I will admit, like it is a bit of a, a harsh headline, but I do think it is both better than the pixel like noticeably better than the pixel 7 i would say just like i i really like and 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 oh daniel did you have you held a pixel 8 actually did you get time hands-on time with one no i haven't i haven't okay. seen one yet it is like very cute the size once again this is the second year in a row where they've reduced the size and it, it makes a big difference the the bezels are now uniform which is lovely like it's very funny how a year ago i held the pixel 6 next to the pixel 7 and i was like wow, the Pixel 7 is a big leap over the Pixel 6. And I did the same exact thing this year where I'm like, wow, I thought I liked the Pixel 7 design, but actually maybe I'm not, maybe I don't anymore. It's like a very cute, inviting phone that like you kind of want to just hold in your hand because it it's it's not like small. We held it up next to an iPhone 15 Pro and it's like virtually the same size as that. If we had a small S23 on hand, I, it's probably around that size as well. But in terms of like, flagship phones it's it's relatively small it's it's a little taller than the iphone and i don't know like there's something that feels so right about that size which is why it's such a bummer that google continues to hold it back and i think this year more than ever we already kind of hinted at it with the software features a lot of them you know especially around the camera being exclusive to the pro but it's not just that it's the matte finish you know the keeping the glossy glass on the on the pixel 8 makes it feel more like a pixel 7.5 than anything else like it 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 doesn't feel uniform like it's a weird choice in some ways it it absolutely feels like this is the iphone 15 to the pixel 8 pros iphone 15 pro max mm-hmm. if that makes any sense yep. and and that's not really what how i would describe the six and seven like i know they were missing cameras but otherwise they were fairly uniform and i don't think that's true this yeah. year yeah, I mean, there are a lot of changes between the two, or a lot of differences between the two phones. We'll get into them in a second. Ara, do you agree that the seven now $700 Pixel 8 is, I think, missing too much to be worth buying? Or is, is like, does it 
Does it compare poorly to other $700 Android phones in that regard? For me, that's going to come down to how G3 performs because, yeah, it's it's missing a lot of the camera. It's especially missing a lot of the camera stuff. I really think that Pro Control should have come to both of them, even and if the uh, and uh, the video they said Video Boost was coming only to the Pro, right? Or was Video Boost is only on the Pro? Yeah. Yeah. See, which that, we should talk about. I, that that's I, nonsense. <laughs> I want uh, to um, if if you know when we get to Video Boost, I I'm going to go back to the event because I need to talk about the reaction Taylor and I had sitting there. <laughs> it was yeah. We, we will get to it. But at the same time. I own a Galaxy S23. That is the phone that I burned my once every three year upgrade on. Uh, I like small phones. I very much am looking forward to finding a Pixel 8 and seeing how it handles because I love small phones. And I hate, 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 hate that we are still in this mindset of, oh, we need something to make people pay 300 extra bucks, even though it's not going to actually be 300 extra bucks because they're getting this through their carrier. So we're going to hold things back that both chips are capable of because both phones have both chips. I don't know if it's a matter of the extra RAM is really that important for some of these or if it's just pure marketing greed, but S23 missed out on ultra wideband, missed out on some of the camera stuff and felt like a solid phone. It just feels like an afterthought next to the plus and the ultra. Pixel 8 is even more so because they're like, oh yeah, we deliberately held it's and it's plainly obvious we deliberately held these back. Yeah, Michelle, I'd love to get your impression of this. Are you a small phones guy? Do you care that there are so many meaningful omissions from the eight to the eight pro? Do you, do you feel like you get in spite of that, in spite of those omissions, good value for money? I can't really offer like an objective or like my own personal view without having used both phones. Like I feel like I want to actually try them first before I could talk about these phones in particular. But I will say in general, I have used both small phones and big phones. Right now I'm on a foldable binge. Like I'm I'm all in on the foldable train just because I've uh, fallen in love with the ability to browse content on a bigger display. But I do see the virtue of smaller phones. Like I hopped between a Zen phone and then the Galaxy Z Fold 5 and the Nothing Phone 2. And like going from the Zen Phone 9 to the Galaxy Z Fold 5, while the bigger screen was certainly much appreciated for browsing content, reading comics and stuff like that, that thing is heavy as heck. It is a chonker. So I definitely do miss having a phone that I don't have to strain my hand for like to use for, for all day purposes, you know? So I will say like, I, as someone who doesn't take that many photos and like videos, like it's only like a vacation thing, like a very occasional thing. Like I, I don't have a small kid or a dog. I'm constantly taking a photo of. So like I understand for those purposes, you might need some of those extra features to take the best possible photo or video. It really depends on your needs. I think for most people, the regular phone is fine. Of course, the Google camera is still going to kick butt, still going to have a lot of the AI features, not all of the super like enhancing stuff, but it's still going to have a lot of those improvements. Seven years of updates is still really good. All the software features, the updates and everything, like stock Android, near stock Android 14. Like, I, I don't think it makes it a bad phone in comparison, just because Google is limiting a lot of stuff to the pro model that are like sexy on paper on like on marketing. I don't think that makes the non-pro a bad phone or a bad value in comparison. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I will play devil's advocate here and defend the eight in some way, right? Yes, both phones get $100 
uh, price increase. I think this probably would have gone over a lot better if it had received a $50 price increase, though that again would have increased the gulf price-wise between the two even more and maybe undermined some of the 7A's value. But I, I do think it's worth going over, as Michelle said, like some of the benefits. You do get 120 hertz display. It's not an LTPO, but it's now 120 over 90 from last year. It is slightly smaller with a bigger battery. It has the T3. It has eight gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage. Sorry, not T3, G3, SOC. Seven years of OS updates is, I think, extraordinarily good value for a phone that's $700. That's not going to happen anywhere else except Apple. So that's one area. I have two things on the pricing there. And the first one is the seven years of updates alone, if it actually holds out and the phone actually still performs well after that time, that would be worth the $100 upgrade right there just because your phone is going to last like twice the length of your previous one. So that's amazing. But the other pricing thing I have is I really don't know why they're keeping the Pixel 7 around. Because they're going to keep the Pixel 7 at 600. We have the Pixel 7a at 500, and we have the Pixel 8 at 700. Because Samsung. Like, but it, these are all so they want close something... in price range. And then when one of them goes on sale, all of them need to go on sale. Otherwise, they make no sense. Samsung just introduced a $600 Galaxy S23 FE. Like, yeah, that where was $200 does that... cheaper. Yeah, but that's exactly the point. The point is that Samsung didn't have anything at $600 modern now they do msrps are what dictate how retailers set their prices right you start at an msrp and then you work down from there there's so much flexibility within that we're going to see the 7a go from 499 down to 399 a lot or even 350 at some point on black friday we'll see the 7 because it's been around for so much longer go from 600 down to like 400 and that'll be a doorbuster, right? It'll be one of those things where there's considerably more price flexibility that these companies have, whereas the 8 and the 8 Pro will, will likely stay fixed for much longer. And that we just know that that's how retailers work. Yeah, I definitely think you also, in this economy especially, you need to have like phones at multiple price points. Like we already see Apple, they've been selling their older models for a while, and I think they're still selling some of their older models, even though they just released the new iPhone 15 series. The only thing I wish Google would do is, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they said anything, at least like during the show, but uh, they're still selling the Pixel Fold and that device is not getting extended software support, which is a huge oof. I mean, that thing is $1,800. Well, no one should buy it. $1,800 and the new $699 Pixel 8 will get three more years, or two more Sorry, four more years of OS updates than it. That's uh, and the eight A comes out next May. It'll run a G three, come in at four ninety nine, and have seven years of updates. Yeah, like I would assume at the very least, even if the Pixel Seven doesn't get it, the Pixel Fold like has to get it. That that is a must. Can I say something? Because I I feel like this is probably the last time it's going to get brought up, so I want to say it now. Um, on on updates, and I I am fully aware that no one might agree with me on this. But a question I have is, is Google a company that deserves our trust on this promise? I can't think of a time that they like ended support for a Pixel phone prematurely, but they are a company that likes to kind of give up on things relatively quickly. And like, I would not blame anyone, including myself, for kind of being like, 
yeah, we'll see in seven years if, if it hit that seven-year mark. So I kind of had an argument. Um, I mean, like, I made a thread on this a couple of months ago about yeah. you know, this concept in particular, about like Google killing things. And I think like people see Google as a company killing things, but I think there are like certain tiers of products there are more, le- more or less likely to kill. And like I, I like I like put them on like a tier list. I can like I'll never see them killing Google Maps or Gmail, right? Right. Or like Google Play Store. It's just they're just cash cows. There's no way they're or killing reader. those products, right? <laughs> but like if you like tie it to their core business or, or like what they think they can make money off of, then I think you can see, oh, this is probably stick around for a very long time. Like Android makes them too much money. They're not killing Android anytime soon. No, uh, no that's not my point. My point is, do they go in five years? They're like, ah, shit. You know what? Android, I, I'm not doing the math right now. I'm too tired. Android, whatever number, 19? 21. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, actually runs really poorly on this. We're actually, uh, sorry guys, we're we're just going to do security patches on this phone, actually. Sorry, our, our bad. Like, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I have no proof for this. I, I, I fully admit that they're pretty good about supporting their phones for as long as they say they will and not a day further. But, uh, like, if someone was like, yeah, I don't know if I trust Google on this. I'd be like, fair. That's fair. So here's the thing. If another company, another OEM had said, yeah, we're going to support our phones for eight years. I was actually skeptical when like Fairphone said they'd do that. Uh, I forgot yeah. exactly how many years they said. Because it's eight they don't, and they're hoping for 10. Yeah. Yes. The thing with Fairphone is unlike Pixel, they don't get to decide like whether or not a certain requirement six years from now will make their phone impossible to support right. that OS version, Right. I'm right. I'm pretty sure that the Pixel team made this commitment fully aware that the Android team will not do something that will just say, "Oh, we can't you can't make that commitment anymore. Your Pixel phones aren't capable of it." Like they are able to communicate that level. I like I'm pretty sure they're doing that. So, if Google is making that commitment, then the hardware we're seeing right now on the Pixel 8 should be capable of running Android 21 or whatever. It should, it's it's expected to be getting, right? I I don't know about it running well. But it <laughs> right. it will meet their requirements. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made that commitment. I like ninety five percent agree with you. Like to be clear, but there I cannot escape that little piece in my brain that's like, okay, but like I'm gonna have to wait the full seven years. It's like when you have like a flaky friend who lives out of town, and they're like, I'm gonna come visit you next weekend, and you're like, I'll believe it when you're here. I'll, we'll make plans. We'll start. You know, make dinner reservations. But I won't. I won't expect to see you until you're actually at my house. That's how I feel about these updates. That's all I'm saying. That's my point. Well- Especially considering they're like hyping this so much in their materials, like they the are. seven years That's of true. OS updates is now like a promise and like a bill, part of the bill of goods that they sold for this device. So if they stopped supporting this early, I could see that being easily being a class action lawsuit. Yeah, Google likes to cut and run, but I don't see them doing that for hardware considering they're the only brand that is gaining any market share when everybody else, or that is uh, gaining any market share when everybody else is just sales are shrinking sales are shrinking because phones are lasting longer if google is like okay we we're not going to beat samsung we're not going to beat apple but we can still make a quality phone and give the android ecosystem a viable alternative to just samsung and motorola sure i also think like we we have to understand that a lot of what happened yesterday is google showing its cards for the next decade right it's hardware is inextricably tied in with its AI aspirations. And as we've seen, AI is extremely computationally expensive, and they are able to charge more for those APIs. Where Google is charging $30 a unit, a user, 
as is Microsoft right now for access to workspace, whatever it's called, generative AI aspects of workspace. Microsoft's doing the same for access to Copilot. I think they expect people will pay for the ability to use AI products. They will bring these features to the Pixel first. They will eventually trickle down into Google One subscriptions as Magic Eraser has done. That is financially accretive to Google's bottom line in a way that puts them at an advantage for the next decade. The fact that they can build these features, optimize them for tensor SOCs, and then have them run locally, essentially beta test them on Pixel users, and then put them in the cloud for everybody else to use is enormously efficient, right? That's a really good way of testing products and making them scalable. And that's what Google is doing. Every single thing Google announced on stage yesterday, main, I mean, some of it will stay Google exclu Pixel exclusive, but a lot of it will not. And that is how Google is justifying this insanely big investment in hardware. But I also think it's important to realize that before the Pixel, there was the Nexus. And even though it wasn't the same people creating it, the Nexus One was released in 2010. I mean, they've been creating phones in some form, whether Google itself was facilitating the hardware, or working with HTC or Samsung or Huawei or LG for 13 years now. That's a long time. And I My think skepticism isn't on the, you know, they're going to release the Pixel 10 and then call it a day. It, it's It's just that they would be like, actually sorry guys like the pixel 8 is actually only getting android you know 19 not android 20 or 21 are bad we'll keep doing security patches that that's it that's all it is yeah and i think that is fair and i it's worth watching michael fisher's interview with rick Osterlo what that that he posted because rick addresses this and you can see his face is kind of pained when when michael asks is google aware just how poor the trust is between users of Google's products and the and, I mean, and, that's and my the user point base. exactly and I didn't really like watched yeah the video yet. we know that we we care yeah. about this a lot and and I think it's to his credit Rick's team has been extremely consistent since day one right the announcement of pixel in 2016 through today he's been on stage every year he's been the face of the hardware team and he's had to justify why nest alarm or nest protect is being shut down and why X thing in the hardware division is being EOL'd. But at the same time, as Michelle said, like anything that's making Google money is not getting shut down. Jamboard, $5,000 whiteboard, yeah, it's getting shut down, but not Pixel. I don't think the R&D is going to get less over time for the reasons that I just said, because Android and AI and Pixel are now inextricably linked, and they will be for the next 10 years and beyond. I was so, actually going to yeah. bring up Jamboard because... Uh... The seven years OS update and like security update promise is, you know, a big potential seller for enterprises and businesses that want to like give all their employees a Pixel phone and have it not be something they have to replace every couple of years. But, you know, hearing news like the Jamboard shutdown, you know, like that thing costs $5,000 a unit. And like imagine how many classrooms spent God knows how much money. So like there is some trust that's been broken. I don't know how much it's affected Google's bottom line. And I don't know if like any enterprises will have seen like news like the Jamboard shutdown and then reconsider whether or not they want to give all their employees a Pixel phone. It's complicated. Like I definitely think Google has built up some trust issues because of everything that's happened. And it's not, as I said, there's like different teams and like different priorities and things like that. So like Android team is very, very different from everyone else, all the other Google products. 
So it's not necessarily fair to judge like, you know, the products that all the Google services shut down versus Android, but still like the perception definitely hurts them, I think. That was exactly my point. I expect them to hold this promise. I'm just marking my skepticism that that like not even me. It's just that like I wouldn't blame anyone for being like, well, okay, maybe. Like I'm not going to buy it based on that promise. That's all. Like I I just think that like it is a it is a part of a broader conversation on the ability to use a Google service and I know services are different than hardware, I'm aware, but to use anything with Google's brand name on it and feel certain that it will be there tomorrow. That's all. All right, here's the deal. I have booked the three of you for a podcast on Thursday, October 3rd, 2030. <laughs> we are going to come back security. <laughs> right here. We are going to see if Google followed through that. It's on your calendars. You just have to show up. I don't know if Google Meet will still be around <laughs> in 2030, <laughs> but uh, you know, God knows Zoom will. So We'll figure out a way Skype. to talk to each it's other. It's always Skype. You just fall back to Skype. That's true. It's always, you're right. It's, it's Skype. <laughs> Skype is the cockroach of uh, conferencing apps. All right. Uh, I want to go through some of the other hardware changes that, that are worth mentioning on the, on the Pixel series. So there's this new Super Actua display. Google's saying it's extremely bright. It's up to it's 1,600 nits HDR and peak brightness of 2,400 nits. They're saying it's a... The regular brightness is 1500 nits. It's a very bright display on the Pixel 8 Pro. I've noticed it's a beautiful LTPO panel. I mean, this is one of the nicest panels that I have seen so far. The design of the phone is a little different, right? I, I noted this in my hands-on. The screen is now flat. It's the first flat display since the Pixel 4 XL on a large Pixel, right? The 5 was a small phone. And then they redesigned the Pixel with the 6 Pro. That had a, a slight curve in the display, same with the 7. The rounded corners and the flat display give the face a slightly more organic feel, I think. It's a little bit easier to hold in the hand. It's a bit shorter. And I like its first impression. I haven't used it too much, but I think it's actually an advantage. The phone itself, like the, you turn it around, it now has this matte back with a unified Cylon camera bar, which I is, is actually shorter. The metal portion is slightly shorter than it was on the 7 and, and, and 6 before it. Again, minor improvements, but the fact that they put the periscope inside the same module, like the same part of the bar as the rest, gives it a uniformity that I think is quite attractive and makes the phone with the matte back just nicer to look at. Obviously, the camera improvements are important to bring up on the 8 Pro. So I don't know if they've actually clarified that it's a new sensor. On paper, the 7 and 8 and the, and, and the 7 Pro and 8 Pro have a 50 megapixel Octa PD wide sensor, right? This is known. It's a 1.2 UM pixel width, but same field of view. Like every, everything's the same 1.1 1. 1 over 3.1 inch image sensor. It's just the aperture that's wider. Did they clarify that for you at all, Will? Like, is it a new sensor or is it the same one? I believe it's a new sensor. I think the Pro, their big marketing push for the Pro was that it is an entirely new camera lineup. Like all three sensors are different. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think we're going to have to find out. 
this has been a question that's been like spawned like dozens of comments in my Discord group because like they're like, is it a new sensor? Please, someone research it. Someone dig into the firmware. Someone please answer this question because I think in XDA's uh, in in Ben's hands on, he explicitly states it's a GN2, but I don't know if that's confirmed because I don't think many other outlets have explicitly named the sensor. And I know in leaks it was rumored to have a GN2. I don't think anyone has gotten official confirmation, and it's it's a little annoying <laughs> that it's not just mentioned Very on the Apple spec sheet. Very Apple of them to yeah. not discuss what's inside it. But yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm only kind of going off their marketing and the limited info. Because I agree with you, yeah, the only the only real big change on the spec sheet is the, the aperture. But The GN1 and the GN2 are fairly similar parts, though. So yeah. Yeah. it's like what happened when the Pixel 2 got like a IMX363 versus the IMX362 like that it's essentially the same sensor i wouldn't s- expect to see massive differences but it is a larger aperture it's a 1 over 69 aperture lets in i think google said like 29% more light or 25% better light sensitivity that's just a line on a spec sheet i wouldn't expect it to deliver much better results but it's obviously a great sensor google knows how to take a good photo i think what's more interesting is the fact that the ultra wide has been changed. It's now a 48 megapixel sensor on the Pro versus the 12 megapixel on the 8, which I believe is the same as last year. Identical field of view, 125 degree field of view. It's it's quite wide. It's wider than the Galaxy S23 Ultra, and it's wider than the iPhone 15 series. So I like the ultra wide in the Pixel. I think it does a really good job, far better than those other two devices. And I'm also thrilled that the Pro has uh, a 48 megapixel sensor in the telephoto, which again is the same as last year, but the aperture is now f over 2.8 versus f over 3.5. So it should get better results in low light. Overall, I think this is a significant improvement to the camera system, plus the fact that the selfie camera has been overhauled on both devices. It's now a 10.5 megapixel sensor, bigger sensor as well, and the Pro has autofocus, which is great. So yeah, overall, I'm pretty happy with it. And I think as somebody who does have kids and is chasing them around all the time, like the Pixel is still the most reliable camera for that. I hated the (laughs) reviewing the S23 this year because you just cannot get a good action shot. The blur is real. The, the blur is it, it. It just cannot do motion. And 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 say you can prefer what a Samsung shot looks like over a Pixel shot, but like the Pixel can handle motion pretty well, and the S twenty three just cannot. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into the camera features because I want to talk about that first. Pro controls. This is mm-hmm. a, a pro only feature, which does not make sense. You know, in spite of the name. It makes plenty of sense to Google's marketing team, actually. It sure does. So, Michelle, Google has overhauled the camera UI for Pixel phones. Did you get access to this early? Like, did you get an APK that activated this? Or did you see it for the first time at yesterday's launch? Uh, You mean the pro controls or just the overall UI? The overall UI. Because the uh, the Gcam 9.0 had already started rolling out before um, the event. So like that's already been it's already on APK mirror and like so like that new UI is there, but I don't think anyone had activated the pro control mode until you know the marketing material leaked. So that was the first time I saw the pro control UI. Um, is when Camilla leaked the marketing video of it. Mm-hmm. 
What do you think of it? I mean, do you think it's an improvement over over the old one? For years, Gcam has been kind of just a point and click, like don't change any settings and that's it. So it's good to finally see them add things that people have been, you know, people who are more serious about smartphone photography have been asking for years, you know, pro controls, the ability to take full res captures, things like that. I just wish it wasn't limited to the pro. I just, like you said, it doesn't make sense why pro controls are only, I mean, pro controls, they're going to argue it's, it's a pro feature, right? But it doesn't actually make sense for it to be limited to just the pro model. Like there's nothing inherent that requires it to be uh, limited to the higher end model. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't at all. Uh, the pro controls, I don't have them on my review unit. I did get a glimpse of them at the demo. Uh, Will, did you see them? Uh, I honestly, uh, no, I didn't. I, I was too busy taking like a, a thousand. We were there for an hour and it, it, it didn't feel like enough time to begin with to get everything. So it's, it's going to have to wait for the, the full review. Uh, I, I got like one photo of it and I was trying to rack my brain if, if, if I could remember the other settings if, as you scroll to the right, because it's a carousel. Uh, you get brightness, you get shadow and white balance, you get focus, I think focus peaking. Uh, as well, like you can do manual focus, and then you also have the option of enabling focus peaking. I just don't know if you can control the shutter speed and the ISO separately. So I'm still hoping that's that's the case because a lot of tweakers are going to want that ability. But suffice it to say, like it's within your thumb's reach just to activate it. It's on the bottom right side of the new camera of GCam Nine, and I'm very grateful it's there. So kudos to Google for finally, finally adding that. Google talked a lot about Magic Editor. This is something that, that it announced at I.O. this year. It's, I guess, the spiritual successor to Magic Eraser. But instead of just erasing things from the background, you now have the ability to manipulate the objects and the photos, the subjects and the backgrounds. Will, you must have seen demos of this at the event. What are your first impressions of it? I mean, only really what they showed on stage if there was a demo area for it, I, I must have walked by it or, or I didn't see it. Uh, a lot of the demo areas were focused more on like the watch or, or you know, specific audio features, stuff like that. Not so much photography, it, at least again, the, it was a big event space. But uh, I have said my piece on some of Google's software, like editing tools and how I think they are or are not useful. I maintain that like I'm I'm happy I guess I'm happy they're here I guess I'd rather that have the ability to move people around a shot or or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but at the same time I kind of continue to feel like I'd rather just take a shot of of the world as it is and I I don't fully understand the obsession with removing I don't know garbage cans from the background or whatever but yeah, I feel like I'm overly cynical about this at this point. Like I, I, I am trying to like keep an open mind on it, but I, I don't know. Like I, I just, it's not a thing that I could see myself using often. Mm. Yeah, Michelle, what, what's what's your take on it? Yeah, I talked about this on another show yesterday, but I, I basically think Google is democratizing Photoshop and like bringing Photoshop to the masses. I think a lot of people were kind of like skeptical or like scared or like dismissive of the like the best take feature and all these and all these similar AI features because they're like oh Google is changing what a photo is what is even a photo now like we could have already been asking that question for years now because smartphones already do so much to our photos but anyway like 
everything that Google is doing with Magic Editor, with Best Take, and all these other AI features are things you can already do if you have a Photoshop subscription and enough time to learn how to use it, right? I mean, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I, I don't have a Photoshop on my PC, and I don't really know how to use it that well. But you can definitely do all these things already. Like, Google's not doing anything that you can't do yourself right now if you just spend a little time. But they're just, like, bringing it to people who don't know how to use any of those tools and just doing it with, like, one or two clicks on your phone. And I think that's great. So, like, I don't think there's any harm in what Google's doing. I don't think they're doing anything wrong with it. I think it's definitely a good thing to bring this to more people because these are features that just, like, I don't see how it can be abused, like, best take, because it requires you to take a photo of a group of people who are already in, like, one area and then like have them, you know, have like different faces match mixed and matched. And then magic editor, right? You're just changing the background and like moving a, a few objects around. Like you don't given the full suite of things you can do with Photoshop, which you can go truly crazy with, but like a limited feature set of the kinds of things that most the average user would want to do to make their photos better is coming to Pixel users. I think that's a good take. That's a good take on it. Maybe may even be the best take. That I've all heard right, yet. All right. I just it's not it's not a it's not an issue with me of what is a photo. I think that's a tired question. I think it's more of just I don't like Google's um attitude towards how sterile a photo should be. I, I think it's weird. Yes, I agree. You can do all this in I, I literally wrote that in in my piece uh, a week ago about um we didn't know it was called best take at that time, but about best take that yes, this exists in Photoshop. The difference is that if you're bringing a photo into Photoshop, it, it is probably a Christmas card photo where you do want everyone smiling and looking at the camera and, oh, you almost got the perfect shot, but one person blinked and it's not, oh, my kid made a silly face and I, I don't like that and I want it gone. I want everyone smiling and I want the background empty. And uh, I don't know. I just, I, I, again, I'm probably overly cynical about it at this point, but um, I just kind of fundamentally disagree with the vision that Google has for what a photo should look like. I think you do have a point there. We are approaching an era where there might be a backlash to all these like f obviously fake photos and eventually we might go back to like there might be a counter movement of people who want real photos. Like people there's obviously so many fake and heavily filtered photos on Instagram, right? And we're kind of seeing a little backlash to that, but not really. Like it's still a common thing that's going on, but like as it becomes more democratized as like everyone starts doing it, I think we might start seeing people get tired of it. I think it really does come down to like, you know, they played a demo of Best Take yesterday and it's Google's team like taking pictures of people in a park and, and a guy says like, oh, say cheese. And everyone says cheese. And now he says, except for you, because you're you're lactose intolerant. And everyone's like, oh, he actually is. Oh, and the, they cheat. They had a good laugh about it. And then like what Google does is like, OK, and now we're just going to make you all look plain and smiling again. And I'm like, but you had the good memory of the time you all laughed about how your friend actually was lactose intolerant. Why do you want to, like, quote unquote, fix that? I just, I don't know. It is a bigger step above an Instagram filter for me. And I, and I do think it starts there, uh, Michelle, to your point. Like, but I, I, it is a fundamentally different take on photography, I think. I'm having a hard time getting hurt by the idea that Google is offering more ways to manipulate photos. I get it. Yeah. If, if only, if only because no, no, no and I, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong in any way, but I'm saying because it feels to me like an evolution of, of like the buffer that we've had in smartphone cameras for half a decade already. This idea that like Top Shot, for example, is not something that ever felt controversial, and yet Top Shot is just literally a buffer 
that is used, you know, in the milliseconds before and the milliseconds after the shutter is pressed on on your device, right? And it allows you to pick one of 30 or 40 photos, and they're not as high quality because it's capturing at a lower resolution, but it does allow you to override the photo that you had or save a copy of the photo you had if you don't like the smile or or, or whatever is happening in that photo. And I think this does best take in particular, and just anybody who hasn't watched the event, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's the ability to sort of combine the faces in group photos using the same idea as Top Shot, where you take multiple exposures of something and then you find faces that you want. And it like it's basically just a UI. It's not necessarily a major change in how the photos are computed or processed. It's literally just giving you a selection UI. And perhaps because the G3 is allowing you to capture more photos at a higher resolution over the few seconds that you, you know, before or after you take the shutter, you can use those higher resolution assets. But the actual idea here is just that they're they're putting a name to something that you kind of already wanted to do anyway. It's like, oh, that's a shitty shot because my baby was had her eyes closed. Let's see if one of the frames 10 milliseconds before her eyes were open. I think there are moments where this feature will come really in handy. My, my issue comes with how Google has been selling it since it leaked, where it, it's not my baby's eyes were closed in the one shot. I, thankfully, I can fix it. It's all my friends and my family members had had expressions on that I don't like. <laughs> let me let me make them all smile. Like, I just think it's so weird because it's like, if they just sold it differently, I think I'd be on board. But like the way they sell it is not let me fix. And that is what most Google people problem. are going to use it for. That's a Silicon Valley problem. That's like a, well, everybody I is mean... happy and, <laughs> and, and smiling all the time. Right. And nobody ever has a bad day. <laughs> the thing that I think about constantly is that Mother Nature sketch that Apple had during its keynote yeah. um, in September. You think about it constantly? just having All the time. <laughs> I stay up day and night ruminating on this sketch. And just how, depending on who you are and, and your industry, it plays so differently. Some, some people see this as like a cynical, kind of self-congratulatory take on Apple's very mediocre attempts to absolve itself of its contributions to rare metal mining and, and, and like e-waste and all this stuff. And some people see it as a legitimately great piece of content that reinforces what Apple is doing right? Because it's the only trillion dollar company in the world. Like, God forbid Google or Microsoft make any such claims. The Pixel 8 Pro is made of 18% recycled material and 100% recycled aluminum. Like, whoop-de-doo, Apple's carbon neutral, like FU. Like, that's the kind of thing that, that a lot of people are latching onto here. And I think it's the same thing, right? That video that Google put of the two people walking around and like taking, you know, pretending, I mean, I'm sure they were actors, talking to people and trying to show off best take and get them to take decent photos. Like most group photos are, are great because somebody is blinking because that's the memory. This is my whole point. That is my whole point. But that's you because you and your (laughs) friends are not some like homogenous white glob of, of humanity, right? Like you actually want to have those memories, right? But that's how Google and Apple and every other Silicon Valley company sells this idea of perfection, of fixing something that is broken 
using our tools, and we're going to make it easier for you to do that. But I think what's cool about Best Take is not that everybody ends up smiling. I mean, ignore the marketing. It's that you can now manipulate something far more easily than you could before. And I think what's cool about it is that you're going to make these mashups. I think really Magic Editor and Best Take are mashup tools that can be used for a lot of other purposes. And that's what excites me, right? It's the meme potential. So what you're saying is uh, Google is selling this as Photoshop for, you know, wannabe wedding photo editors who don't know how to use Photoshop. And what it really is, is Photoshop for everyone who actually learned Photoshop and just used it to make <laughs> shitty memes for Reddit. Oh, my God. Can you imagine a wedding photographer using best take? To <laughs> yes, I can. It's going photos? to happen. It's going to happen. Like you're going to you're going to see them upload it to the web interface of Google Photos and just like swap out people's faces, manipulate the metadata to make it seem like it came from a Pixel 8 Pro. Sometime in the next year, a couple in the United States will hire their friend who has a Pixel 8 Pro to take wedding photos for them. <laughs> and this will happen. I, I, I want a video you. crew there to document that whole ex like disaster. I know people that have had poor wedding photo experiences, mm -hmm. and it is one of the most traumatic events of their lives. Like, if you don't like your wedding photos, you basically don't like your wedding, because the, that ends up being the thing that you, like, linger on, because that's the memory, right? It's, it's, those are the physical objects that you have remaining. For the most part, like it's so what it's, you're saying is you should have taken everything with a pixel and we've come full circle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what? I'm uh, on board now. You've sold me. Thank you. That's what I do. OK, um, we've talked about the Pixel 8 series for the whole hour, which, uh, of course, we did. Can, is there I, anything else? One more. Yeah. One more thing. Can we talk about Video Boost? OK, yeah. Yes. Let's talk about Video Boost. Sure. Even though we have no idea how it works or when it's coming. But right. Yes. It's well, it's coming in the December drop. Right. Didn't they say that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. To the pro, not the regular. Another, another exclusive. <laughs> they showed this very nice video of a photographer slash videographer in Tokyo, specifically taking shots at night. And when they finally demonstrated what video boost looked like, I recoiled in my seat because I thought it looked pretty bad. It looked like they dropped a clip in Premiere and opened the Lumetri sliders and just kind of cranked a bunch of them up. And saturation at 150, and here's some more colors, everything's popping. Genuinely thought the shot before, the before part of the before and after looked better for most of the stuff they showed on screen. It's possible that this is why it's not shipping yet, but uh, I was uh, fairly unimpressed with what they showed on stage. Taylor and I like, looked at each other to be like, this doesn't look good, right? And I'm curious how it played at home because like maybe it was just we were looking at a really bad monitor or something. I'm ambivalent. I okay. I cannot make any predictions until I use it. That's fair. I think the idea and I want the Michelle to fine. I'm I'm to, totally to fine with that. Weigh in on this because a lot of the impression that I got was that the G3 is sort of the introduction to Google doing a lot of compute on device as well as moving as much as it can safely off device and merging the two in a seamless way, right? That is the theme that I got and the direction that I think Pixel is moving in, that they can, you know, let's do as much ML processing on device as we can, but anything that's computationally expensive, we'll, we'll put on our data centers 
and we will just sync it back up when it's finished. And I think Video Boost is interesting because even if the results today are not great, I think it is a hint or a preview of what's to come. You know, when you have a lot of edge compute and they talk about like 5G edge compute all the time and like how that made no sense. But like at the end of the day, it's basically what layers can we shave off your phone's compute and put it on the cloud and, and you're not really thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, the results, again, like I agreed with you. I thought some of the low light videos that were taken in Tokyo were moody and they had they, exactly. were, they it, were interesting. It eliminated any kind of moodiness from the shot, which was, and just kind of made it look like a phone video. But that's Night Sight in a lot of it ways. Is. Like Night Sight and, and like modern nightography, I hate you, Samsung, um, is exactly that. It's not, ex it's not just boosting the exposure, but it like amounts to basically seeing what you would see in the day or an approximation of what you would see in the day, but taken at night. Well, and th there are times where I take a shot, you know, for as much as we praise low light photography on, on, on the Pixel specifically, but as other phones as well, there are times where I take a shot and I look at it later and I'm like, not to reuse the word moody again, but that was a much moodier scene when I took it and Night Sight has effectively eliminated that and it just kind of looks like a street corner now. Like, it's not exactly what I was trying to get, but you're right. All I have to base off this is what they showed on stage. It won't even be in the review. It'll be in a, a you know, maybe a review update in come, you know, January or, or if I have time in December. But yeah, I was excited to see what that looked like when they started talking about it because it's a really interesting concept. And I was just, I, I found myself pretty underwhelmed. That's all. We've gone very long. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, Michelle, your take quickly on Video Boost, because I remember you said, said at the beginning that and Ultra HDR were, were kind of interesting to you. Well, as I mentioned before, like the Tensor G3, I feel, is like the first generation where it really feels like their custom chipset design is like really making sense. Because like the first generation Tensor, there wasn't that much that was semi-custom about it. Like they had a custom Tensor processing unit, you know, for some AI workloads, but that was pretty much it. They added a custom DSP in the Tensor G2 and um, some other custom stuff. But like the Tensor G3 is where it feels like they're really taking advantage of the TPU and it's like much more improved in performance and able to, you know, do much more on device. So I definitely feel like that's the reason we're seeing so many more AI features. But as for Video Boost, since that's being done server side right now, like it just shows that it's still not as powerful, the uh, Tensor G3 processor to be able to handle that kind of workload on device. But maybe Tensor G5, Tensor G4 will be capable of doing video boost on device. We'll, like, we'll have to wait and see. It is, it is unfortunate that it's, it has to be offloaded onto the cloud server to be processed because who knows how much data that's going to end up using if you're transferring like a 4K video file right to Google. You got to go home and do that. Plug well, your phone in. Taking having, up space in your photo, yeah. in your photos account. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like definitely not ideal. Hopefully something that will be made on device in a future generation. Ultra HDR, by the way, it's, it's not actually relevant at all to <laughs> Tensor or, or any of this discussion, but it's a very interesting thing. Like Google's been talking about it a lot, but like I don't think a lot of people understand how significant of an announcement it really is. Because like for years, we've had you know, our smartphone cameras say we're taking HDR photos, right? You, have, you toggle the HDR button, although like Pixel camera. They got rid of the HDR toggle a long time ago. But you're not actually taking a true HDR image. You're just taking an 8-bit SDR image 
and applying some processing that makes it feel like it's an HDR image. It's not an actual HDR image. But with Ultra HDR, starting with the Pixel 8 and Google Camera, you're actually capturing a JPEG file with HDR metadata embedded in it so that you can take that JPEG file, put it on social media, whatever, and it'll display normally on whatever platform and device you're using on that has an SDR, a regular screen. But on devices that have an HDR-capable display and that support rendering HDR, like ultra HDR images, you'll get the original image that you wanted to see, like that you were seeing with like brighter lights, the better contrast, and all that jazz. So like you have this new format that should hopefully become a standard and be supported by web browsers, by apps, social media apps, and et cetera, that will work on both SDR and HDR compatible displays. And I actually posted about it like right before the show started that Google Chrome has already added support for the Android 14 APIs that make it possible to display ultra HDR images. And actually not only ultra HDR images, but also Apple's equivalent to ultra HDR, which is extended dynamic range or EDR. And those are in a different file format called HEIF, which I'm sure you're familiar with if you use an iPhone. And also, Chrome also adds support for true 10-bit HDR images in the AVIF format. So like, we're entering this era where like, HDR photography is finally, will hopefully finally become more mainstream in the near future. Because right now, you have a couple of manufacturers like Oppo, Xiaomi, etc., who have been like, in their marketing, they say they have true... 10-bit HDR pipeline, right, from capture to display. But the problem is the images you take with those phones can only be shown on the stock gallery app on their phone. Like, you can't share that on social media, and other people can't actually see the same image that you're seeing on your phone in the stock gallery app. So, like, Google's announcement of Android 14 will take that out of the equation and make it so that you can see it on whatever platform you're using. And if it's a device that has an HDR display and supports Ultra HDR, then it'll be able to render that image. But is this a, a an Android or Google produced standard, or is this an open standard that, say, Apple could adopt in the future? So, I think I believe Google said they worked with Adobe on this standard, and the for- file format they're using is is already standard. It's JPEG. It's JPEG. So yeah. it's like an, it's a JPEG file with extended metadata that has like mm-hmm. this this HDR metadata embedded in it. So regular devices that support JPEG, which is every device on the planet supports JPEG, can open that file without any issue, even if they don't have HDR capable displays. But on devices that can recognize that metadata and that have HDR displays can display that extended, you know, dynamic information. I mean that's basically what happens on an iPhone right now. So if you're shooting photos or video captured with Apple's HDR codex, like the screen brightens, you get you get to see those vivid colors. But what you're saying is that those are not compatible with any Android phones right now. Right. So like as I mentioned, Apple uses its own format. They call it extended dynamic range. And then their own image file format, HEIF, has like a mixed bag in terms of compatibility. And even on iOS, I believe like if you open Safari, a lot of HDR images aren't able to be displayed. I think you can only use like the stock iOS gallery app to, to actually view those images. And in some social media apps, I believe might support it. But even on the Apple side, it's, it's been very limited. So like there's still a lot of work that needs to be done before all platforms and all devices are able to actually properly display the images that we're taking. Because for years, we've just been taking SDR images that have like this... Uh, 
you know, HDR processing done to it. And that's kind of resulted in all these messy photos where like the sky's blown out or like all these, all the lighting is all like crap because like all the HDR processing has just made it too bright, right? But like if we're able to take true HDR photos, you won't really have that kind of problem anymore because you won't have the processing that just messes up all the highlights. You'll have that data like in a separate container and like the separate metadata and you won't need to have the fake HDR processing that we see all the time that people complain about all the time on photos. So, and that's properly backwards compatible with SDR. So the, it'll the just JPEG fall file. back intelligently. Yeah. 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 I believe, like I don't have a unit myself, but the Pixel 8 should already be taking photos that are in that JPEG R format, which is the ultra HDR format. So like if you take a photo yourself and like open the file I think you should be able to find that metadata there. Like, I think it's already enabled on the Pixel 8 series. So that's Android. That's coming with Android 14, and the Pixel 8 series is the first to kind of support it. But right. once it rolls out to, I mean, do we know that like... The- you, you need support from the camera app to capture images and store them in Ultra HDR. And then you also need apps to support viewing that Ultra HDR image. So... Right now, on the capture side, we have Google Camera on the Pixel 8. And then on the viewing side, we have Google Photos. And that's pretty much it. I don't think anyone else supports Ultra HDR yet, because it was, it was just announced, right, at I.O. Right, right, right. Okay. So once Samsung adopts it, I guess it'll be a bigger deal, because it'll be available to more... If they adopt it. ...more people. I mean, it, it's going to be... It. So, it's, it's supported... This is the company that made HDR <laughs> 10 Plus, or whatever it's called. It, it's, yeah, the format, the file format is supported in Android 14 natively, but like whether or not apps add support for it is a different story. As I mentioned, Chrome already supports it. Like it's already enabled by default in Chrome and then by extension, all Chromium-based browsers like Edge. But uh, the big one is whether social media apps will be updated to support it. That's the big question. Okay, finally on the Pixel 8, uh, let's just talk this temperature sensor. It's, God, it's, okay. It's kind of it's we weird. Well, I just want to mention that it's there, right? So... I was under the impression, so the, the, this leaked a while ago, and like May, yeah. we thought there's no way Google is going to apply for FDA approval for this, because it's just, it's a tiny little temperature sensor. How in God's name could they think that it's a good idea to like ask parents to take their kids' temperature with a phone? Like You need something dedicated. I, as a parent, do not want to trust anything that isn't like made by brawn. Or, or, you know, to, to take my kid's temperature. And yet on stage, Rick, or no, it wasn't Rick. Whoever was on stage did say that they applied for FDA approval uh, in order to get it, get it approved. Uh, it was a Matai, was that his name? I think so, yeah. That surprises me because in my few minutes using the app, so it's a dedicated app, it's called Temperature. You're going to be able to download it from the Play Store. It was not pre-installed on my demo unit or my review unit because... It's not out yet. It'll come out next Friday when the phones are released, but it's bad. Like it is so inconsistent that I do not trust it from day one. So either there needs to be considerable calibration to improve consistency, or I cannot see this getting FDA approval anytime soon. I also don't know why it's there at all. Like it's not the pandemic well, anymore. Yeah. Well, but it yeah, but makes no we sense. know when these phones start. Like like the, the planning for this started in 2020 or 2021. And is and, that it though? Really? Like, I think I so. I mean, I think they're that's not the only admit to it. That's like the only explanation that would justify yeah. having this thing, because otherwise, I don't think there's just, anyone's actually going to be using this thing. 
like as you mentioned doesn't have fda approval and like even some of the disclaimers in the app they disclaim that uh you have to agree that understand that the use of thermometer is not intended to diagnose or monitor a serious medical condition or disease they tell you it's not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare provider it's not intended to interpret hypothermic temperatures and they tell you don't use this to measure the body temperature of a premature baby there's like so many disclaimers of this feature in the app and like basically the most i can see it being useful for the object temperature is pretty useless like the most i would use a temperature thermometer for is like measuring temperature of food but you're obviously not sticking your phone in a pot to measure the food temperature <laughs> i do that like, all the time actually <laughs> is my chicken breast cooked all the way is this 165 in the middle i'm gonna use like, my pixel figure it if out if this were to somehow get fda approval or it, I, don't, I don't even know why but like the most I could see it being useful for is like you have a small kid and you're asking like, do they have a fever and should you be worried or go to like the urgent care hospital? Like the app even has like fever guides that like tell you how febrile you are based on like your age range. And like the most I can see it being used for is like a concerned mom to quickly check. But like thermometers are like five dollars. Why would you use your phone for this? But again, Michelle, like I put this up to several people's foreheads and got numbers that made Absolutely no sense. Well, it's not I, I don't think it was enabled. It's, uh, the I think only the object temperature um, mode was enabled on the functions on right the now. Like you can't units. have the thing there and say, "Oh, you can potentially use this for X." Sure. Unless it is approved. Uh, although I will say I do have an instance where this would be helpful for me. Although I don't know if the phone is capable of it. But I live in an apartment where my AC is like ten, maybe fifteen years old. I believe. And it sometimes, like, freezes over and stops working, and sometimes it just stops working. So I use an infrared thermometer a not insignificant amount of the time just to make sure my apartment hasn't hit the point where uh, I need to call emergency maintenance because this is above the range that, yeah, I have to just, you know, put up with it. But since object temperature is like, oh, you have to, like, put it against something, I don't know if it'll be as helpful for that. Although I do, do suppose you can just stick it to the wall and see how hot it is. I mean, this is the company that released the Pixel 4, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they just put it in there for shits and giggles and were like, eh, it's something, like, we'll figure out what to do with it, but we got access to this part, let's just throw it in there and see how it works. It's also likely that they had greater aspirations for it, and then they got caught up in FDA approval and couldn't do the things that they wanted to do, but I think you're right, Michelle, like, the fact that it probably is only active or like it's it's currently only optimized for objects and not people is what Google didn't want. They didn't want to release this without FDA approval, without having an explicit, like you could point it at a coffee cup and say, okay, it's 108 degrees. You could also point it at a forehead and consistently get good performance. But people are going to use it for the forehead anyway, because that's what people do. And I think that's that's problematic. Like you can have as many warnings as you want, but if somebody puts this up to a kid's head and it gives them a wildly inaccurate temperature, there are 911 calls that are going to be made and and I just think that's 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 really not a good thing. So, the only use that I think this will have is a really funny one and I I, I encourage one of you all to do this is to take your Pixel 8 Pro and uh when your iPhone is overheating, just take a just take a photo of it, like measuring the temperature. <laughs> I, I that will go def- viral for sure. 
Uh, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, you, I know you have a, a, a 15 Pro Max. Uh, mine is in the mail, I believe. I, I, I encourage you to uh, send me that photo. I'll put it in the in this 8 Pro review. Deal. I don't know if Google would ever do this, but that would be hilarious commercial for them. You know, the best friends forever commercial series. Yeah, you can use absolutely. your your Pixel to measure your overheating iPhone. That would be a vicious turn for that ad campaign. <laughs> for what has been a mostly sweet ad campaign, like that would be a that would be a harsh one. That would be that would that's be hilarious. Also, that's the kind of brand. Yeah. That's the kind of uh, branding that like Twitter loves. That's that's yeah, brand absolutely. Twitter. I mean, this is also the company that's like gently chiding Apple to activate rcs by creating something well, called yeah, the all right, iPager. We, we do not have time to talk about two different embarrassing things that google has done in the last <laughs> two weeks it's the thermo- so the, the thermometer is embarrassing i'm just gonna say it and and so is their continued ipager attempts uh it's embarrassing that's all 699 999 pixel 8 pixel 8 pro available october 12th all right we can't talk about the pixels anymore the phones we have to talk about the pixel watch too Thankfully, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but hardware-wise, at least aesthetically, it looks very similar. It's still still 349, 399 with LTE. I believe the crown has been improved. I have not used this, but I read Ben's hands-on with it on 9 to 5, and he says that it now has inertial scrolling. Although I don't know, Michelle, is that a Wear OS 4 thing, or is that a Pixel Watch 2 thing? Like, could they bring inertial scrolling to the original Pixel Watch? Uh, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. It, un- unclear at this point, but the crowd is apparently smoother. It's a better quality uh, scrolling experience and there's inertial scrolling on it, which is fantastic. Uh, still one size, still large bezels around the rounded OLED display. Really, the big changes are in the silicon. This is now using Qualcomm's W5 platform, which is so much faster, so much more efficient than the Exynos 9110 in the original Pixel Watch, which was. I think made in 2018 or released in 2018. So we should see greater efficiency there, longer battery life. The sensor on the back has been overhauled. And again, I'm going to reference Michael's interview with Rick yesterday. He said that at the time the Pixel Watch was beginning development and they were sourcing components for it, the Fitbit acquisition had not gone through yet. So this was back in 2020. And they just did not have the right components to integrate it with Fitbit's ecosystem the way that they wanted to initially, which is why there was no auto workout tracking. Sleep detection was really bad. There was just a a lot of stuff that they launched with that was missing that eventually came in a big update around six months later. This is just a very different experience, right? We have auto workout tracking. We have much better sleep detection. We have sleep cycles and all the things that you would get. Basically, you get a Fitbit with this. And Google is really leaning into that fact that this is now a very fitness-friendly product. You get six months of Fitbit Premium again. The charger is now pin-based. It's not wireless anymore, but it's backwards compatible. Sorry, the original one is backwards compatible with the Pixel Watch 2. Am I right about that, Will? Um, Or is it it the other way around? I don't know. The, 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 (laughs) it's, it's, the one that I know is that the Pixel Watch 2 can charge with a Fitbit Sense 2 charger. I oh, actually, is that what it was? Okay. Yes. So you I can't actually changed the Pixel Watch chargers. There was not a plug to try it with at the uh, at the hands-on. Okay, fair enough. So you saw it. I know Taylor did the hands-on, but what were yeah. your impressions of it when you when you played with it in the short time? Some of the new um 
uh, workout uh, UIs that they have, like for showing specific progression levels. You know, if you're running or any kind of cardio, look really clean. They're using the rounded display to their advantage the way that Apple uses their square display, which I would say is is not always true for every every Android smartwatch. I think it's clever how they kind of like wrap information around it. But yeah, I mean, largely speaking, the promises of the Pixel Watch 2 are things you can't figure out from a hands-on. I don't envy Taylor's goal yesterday uh, in writing a hands-on of that watch because the, the promises are, you know, better battery life and better fitness tracking. And as I mentioned, neither myself nor Taylor got on the treadmill. So it will require a full review to, to kind of answer both of those questions. But I mean, if it can... If it can now do 24 hours of battery life with the always-on display enabled and some of the Fitbit weirdness that was present at launch last year are go- is, is gone, which it, it sounds like, certainly on the face of it, seems like it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I think it's pretty much what we would have expected from a Pixel Watch 2. You know, like like the Pixel Watch 1 is, is, a, is was a first-generation piece of Google hardware, which is usually the one you want to skip, and it seems like that is probably playing out here. I think it's also worth mentioning right now that if you buy a Pixel Watch, a Pixel Pro, oh my God, a Pixel 8 Pro, you get a Pixel Watch 2 thrown in for free, which is a crazy pre-order deal that if you are buying a phone, you should take advantage of. The only pre-order deal that I can think of that's better is when Sony was throwing in a pair of WH-1000XM4s with the, uh, I'm going to get this right, hang on. The Sony Xperia Mark. You need a model number. Sony one, Xperia One Mark, Mark yes. Four. <laughs> Thank you. That was not a good pre-order bonus because then you'd have to use an Xperia One Mark Four. I know, but I but I'm I just love those. I know, and I just so. want to dunk on Sony. I'm sorry to the like four Sony listeners we have. And one actually, I think we got an email from a Sony Xperia user. This we week. did. It was it was we very did. nice. You seem very nice. I hope you're liking your phone. I'm um, I'm pretty sure Michelle is like the biggest Sony are you, stand. Are you a Sony of, stand, of Michelle? All of us. Uh I've never actually used a Sony Android phone. I'm what? Not sure. I, I thought you it's were been, like I, I have nothing against you were Sony phones. On, I have no opinions like one way or another. Okay. I just have never used one. That's fair. Most people haven't, okay. to be honest. I, I misunderstood. I misunderstood. I, I I saw you I saw you post about it in your in your Telegram channel the other day. That was just in response to a Linus Tech Tips. Like he it's it's a it's a it's a long story. But uh okay. yeah. Go go read the telegram channel if you're curious then. <laughs> We're gonna have to wait and see. I think that's that's yeah. basically the TLDR here for for us. That we'll have a review on the side of, of all these devices, but particularly the Pixel Watch 2 if you're interested. Go go read that. Obviously, Wear OS four coming out uh, as well. Google released a bunch of apps and updates to existing apps for Wear OS yesterday, alongside including updated Gmail, Google Calendar, and then there's like My Fitness Pal, Peloton, and a, a couple of others. Audible is finally available for Wear OS, which is cool. I use Audible. A lot of that wasn't on the watches at the hands-on thing, though, which was kind of a bummer. Like, when Taylor was taking shots of me wearing one, he was like, uh, open Gmail. That's on there now, right? And we, like, look for Gmail, and it's it's not there. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Yeah. All these things will be available. I mean, I have a Xiaomi Watch 2 Pro here, which is also running the new Qualcomm W5 Gen 1, W5 Plus Gen 1 platform. 
it doesn't have Wear OS 4 yet, but there are a lot of existing devices that will get Wear OS 4 at some point in the future. So you can, you can look out for that if you don't have a Pixel Watch. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the other things that Google said on stage. In particular, Google Assistant with Bard, I think is interesting. Michelle, there was an article on Android Authority all about how you've noticed that there was a toggle in Android 14 QPR 1 beta 1. And in that, you, there's a toggle to enable Assistant by holding down on the gesture bar at the bottom of the pixel. And you kind of suspect that may activate this new kind of now on tap-like behavior where you hold it down, it sort of inspects what's on the page, and then uses Bard to give you context for what you're looking at. What do you think about that? Is that something that you, A, think will happen, and, and B, is that the right move here? I mean, I do think them bringing back essentially what's Google Now on tap is a good idea. Like, it was a great feature that everyone loved, but then it just sadly went disappeared in favor of Google Assistant. And having Bard with Assistant or assistant with Bard, sorry, made the same. I'm pretty sure uh, Michael Fisher also got that mixed up when he did his interview. <laughs> it's so uh, easy to confuse those. Having assistant with Bard accessible from any screen just by doing a long press on the search on the, on the gesture panel would be a huge win for getting Bard in front of users because right now the war over AI assistance is getting it in front of users, getting it in the services you already use. And like ChatGPT was the first big one, of course, but nobody's going to ChatGPT's website and actually interacting with ChatGPT there. I know like some of us do, right? But the average user is not doing that. That's not how they interact with it. They use Bing. They use Microsoft 365 or like Microsoft is trying to make us use 365 and Bing. <laughs> but uh, all these companies are trying to integrate it into services, software and services that we already use. And because smartphones are something that so many of us use already, and uh, Google is integrating into all the apps that we use on a daily basis, like Gboard, Gmail, the Google app, and like Chrome. Oh, I just triggered my... Sorry. Stop, <laughs> I heard stop. That. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think this is a clever way. I think it's, it's definitely a good approach to get Bard in front of users in a way that'll make it stick and that'll keep them using it and keep feeding Google data and keep improving it and to eventually maybe start selling it to users and sub through other subscriptions like Google Workspace and stuff like that. Right now, the smartphone is like going to be the primary way we interact with AI. I know some companies are like Humane are betting on a pin that you wear or and Meta's betting on, you know, the Ray-Ban glasses. But like those devices just aren't there yet in terms of local processing performance. So like we're not going to have large language models running on these devices for a couple of years at least. So right now, I think the battle is taking place on your home screen, and Google has a huge advantage when it comes to getting their model in front of you, because Microsoft doesn't sell phones anymore, and they don't have access to your home screen like Google does. Apple is still working on whatever they're working on. Like, Of course, they have a huge market, and they would be a huge threat to Google if they ever rolled out their own generative AI stuff. But so far, they're still sitting on the sidelines while everyone else is battling in the AI realm. Yeah, we're seeing SGE integrated into more things on the search platform. I think Google needs Bard to have a standalone brand. 
we talked about this in a previous episode, didn't we? That like, is Bard going to stay separate from the rest of what Google's doing in AI or will it eventually sort of get subsumed by assistant and search and just stop being a relevant name? I, I know Bard was pushed out early because of the rise of ChatGPT and Google would have liked to just sit on it for probably a year or two longer to make it good. Bard is pretty good now, but when it launched, it was not. And I think it was always in the cards to integrate Bard into Assistant, right? There's also this idea that Rick talked about on stage that like generative AI will allow Google to overhaul the way that Assistant works because LLMs are just better at giving you context. It's better at having conversations. It allows for more dynamic interactions, whether you're using text or voice or visual stimuli. Uh, you know, just just last week, JetGPT rolled out essentially a voice assistant or at least a voice output for ChatGPT. And you can also now feed images into ChatGPT. So ChatGPT itself is becoming a lot more like Google Assistant. And the company obviously was going to respond by integrating an LLM into Assistant. I just think the actual UX of like holding down on the gesture bar and activating Assistant and getting the context, bringing back now on tap, which I adored and used all the time is a big deal and something that I, I hope actually Google follows through with. Okay, was that it? Did I skip over stuff? I mean, I mean, Android 14, I guess. Like, well, is... no, I wanted to end with Android okay, 14. Okay, okay, as long as- from the event. From the there event. There was the super zoom thing. Like the, I called it the CSI zoom because that's basically, like you, you watch CSI and they just say enhance and the photos enhanced. It's minority report. He's just gonna wave his hands in front of the screen. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Which one came first? I think CSI debuted on the same year that... No, no, no. CSI predates Minority Probably, Report. Probably, yeah. CSI came out in 1999, didn't it? Yeah, that's Minority right. Report's 2001? Uh, both of those sound right. Maybe 2002 for Minority Report. Anyway, yeah, doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Anyway, all that being said, like there is this ability to, to use Super Res Zoom to enhance it, which is another Google uh, Pixel 8 Pro exclusive feature, which I don't understand, but uh, that's coming. Oh, payments. Yes. I wanted to talk to Michelle about this. Why, how did I forget? Michelle, so you can now use the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro's selfie camera to authenticate for payments and password managers and other apps that use class three biometrics. You've written about this extensively to your audience. I'd like you to weigh in on how you think Google accomplished this or why Google accomplished this, right? Because this is Google sort of self-actualizing it's machine learning algorithms combined with the selfie camera's sharper sensor to essentially reassure people that you're not going to have fakes or allow it to be misled in any way. So, I mean, the way they accomplish it is just like, as I said, they improve their machine learning models on being able to recognize what is your face and what's not, whether or not your face is actually not just a photo of your face and is actually your moving face, like your actual person. It's not really much more complicated than that. Like it is very impressive that they managed to do this with a single RGB front-facing camera and not a dot projector and flood illuminator like they had to do with the Pixel 4. So that is actually a huge breakthrough in terms of uh, being able to use your biometric-based authentication as a convenient way to you know access your device and your apps and your payment and whatnot. Because 
as far as I know, no other Android phone is capable of using your face unlock as a class three, which is the highest tier of uh, biometric that's recognized in Android. And it's not like Google is, I mean, they are technically the ones who ends up verifying and enforcing this stuff in the first place. So I know there's still some people skeptical of it, but it's not like you just flip a toggle and say, oh, I'm going to let my face, I'm going to let this phone's face unlock be used for banking purposes. Because there's actually like a set of criteria that they have to meet, that they have to enforce and they have to test for and like submit those results to Android. And I know, it, like, like, like I said, it's the Pixel team on the left hand and Android on the right. Like Google is submitting their own test results to essentially themselves. So like there are always going to be people who are skeptical if it's actually safe enough. But like these criteria that they have to meet are public. So I guess if you were really skeptical of the Pixel, you could start seeing if it lives up to those claims, if it actually is safe enough to uh, be used in that way. And as long as it meets those requirements, then according to Android's rules, you're allowed to use it for things like um, Biometric Prompt, which is the API that apps use to allow for authenticating using your face or your fingerprint. And uh, also like more secure things like the Key Store that allows you to access like your password manager and things like that. So Manuel Fonau, our Android editor, discovered today on his Pixel 8 review unit that there's a differentiation in some apps, and I think it comes down to the API they use. So on one password, for instance, it authenticates you, it shows you the happy face icon, and it just logs you in. On his banking app, however, it authenticates him, and then you have to physically confirm by tapping next or OK on the checkbox. That's just an added step, but it still uses the same API. Are you aware of like how third-party apps might have to change to facilitate this? Or is it just one biometric API that is used across Android now and like it'll just work out of the box every time? It's been a couple of weeks since I looked at the biometric prompt API, but I'm pretty sure it's totally up to developers to decide what class of biometrics they want to support, what biometrics they want to support. So like if a banking app says, I only want class three and no class two biometrics, then they can choose to do that. Or if an app says, I only want fingerprint and not face, then they can decide to do that. I think it's recommended um, to just, you know, pick a class and not like discriminate by the biometric. But again, it's up to the bank, up to the app, what they want to do. Like it's, it's their choice, what they want to support. Got it. Amazing. Let's move on to Android 14. You talked about Ultra HDR. Maybe give us like one or two other highlights. We've, we've talked about Android 14 a lot on the show in the last few months, so we don't have to go over it. There have been, I don't know, there were what, six, seven betas? Like it's, it's been out there for a long time. But as a whole, Michelle, what are your impressions of Android 14 and, and what are your kind of favorite things about it so far? I guess one of my favorite features is the ability to use your smartphone as a webcam. And I know that's technically not available in the stable release of Android 14 because it's right now only available in the QPR beta, but uh, it's whatever. I, I do like the fact because like most laptop webcams are awful. And like if you're traveling somewhere and like you have to hop onto a podcast or you have like a weekly podcast, like this, this has actually happened to me a couple of times where all I have or all I want to pack with me is just my laptop. Like I don't want to bring my webcam with me or like a camera and then set it up and plug it in. Whereas like a phone is what you already have on you all the time. Just like plop that on the table 
and point it towards you, and then you have a way better camera webcam than whatever is built into your laptop. So I think that's definitely a feature that has the most potential to be actually useful. There's just so many other small tweaks in Android 14. Like, as for me, what I would find to be the most useful, it's actually a tough one. Um, I have a small one. And it's, it's, it's super small and it's super no, petty, but I'm super happy that Android 14 <laughs> brought it. And that was the ability to split your ringer and notification volumes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because Samsung had that. So I take it for granted. And then I switch back to a pixel and I go, dear God, why? Yeah. That's definitely a useful one. I mean, even Google's blog post doesn't have a ton. I think what's interesting to me is just how minor Android 14 is. But also, like, that's really not the point of big OS updates anymore. So many features are released in feature drops these days, and Android has dedicated Android feature drops and Pixel feature drops, and then there's stuff that just gets uh, released through the Play services, and then there's actual OS updates, and some of them only come out like later on. But it's, 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 it's kind of messy, but it means that the day and date Android 14 is officially available. That's no longer as interesting as it used to be. And it's also not as interesting as like a standalone iOS update, which, you know, Apple still saves all the big changes for the day one updates. And so many people get those updates at the same time that it really has like cultural impact where Androids don't. I will say AI wallpapers has been so much fun to use. It's not even an Android 14. I know this is a Pixel Pixel 8 and Pixel exclusive. Which is weird, right? That's why that's kind of why it's, it's hard for it's me. It's in the Android 14 blog post that Google posted on its own blog. Yeah. But it's a pixel feature. That's which is the so kind of odd. thing that makes it tough for me because you get the impression, like you you report on Android and mobile devices, and you get the impression that Android 14 is a minor update. For me, it's not the case at all because like I, I see everything and every OS release is a huge one. But the problem is how does Google decide what to talk about and what not to talk about? And often they only talk about maybe 10% of the features that are actually and the features and changes that are actually in the release. And like there's so much stuff they never ever mention. Because like some of those things are just not relevant to the average user. They're relevant to maybe enterprises, they're relevant to maybe a segment of the user, like tablet users, or they're just still not fully developed and they'll be coming in a QPR release, or they're waiting on a new pixel, like a new hardware release. They haven't talked about for example, the, the note-taking stuff, that's the better stylus support in Android 14, the better keyboard support in Android 14. There's a lot of keyboard and stylus-related features in Android 14 that they did not mention at all. And I'm guessing the reason they don't talk about that is because they want to release a keyboard and stylus accessory for the Pixel tablet, and they don't want to talk about these features until those are ready. Google does this a lot. They have a lot of the features they don't talk about because they're planning to have it coincide with a Pixel feature drop or a new Pixel like software update or a new Pixel hardware release. So like a lot of things they don't talk about. I mean, that's fair. And I'm you're absolutely right. Like we typically talk about front facing, you know, user affecting features. If you go to the Android developer page and you look at all of the quote Android 14 features, there are a ton of them. Improvements. And that's to, not even all of it either. I'm sure I'm sure you've seen like <laughs> the the, the the background stuff that that nobody else can can see but i mean even that right you're there's a, a significant number of changes that will impact how you use your phone but a lot of it is dependent on developers adopting these features and these apis right and that doesn't always happen very quickly and some of it is 
not going to affect how people use their phones for the most part, right? Most people turn on their phone, they open Instagram, they open Slack, they send a message, they, they turn it off, right? Improvements to like the grammar check inside Gboard or something is not necessarily going to make a big difference to them or Health Connect, uh, which I'm very curious about and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about it. But like, again, not a huge impact on a regular person when they use their phone the second it gets upgraded to a new version. And there are also some things that differ based on just like, as I mentioned, the QPR releases kind of complicate things. So like with the Android 13, I think it was QPR 2 or QPR 3 for Pixel phones, they announced the Google Home Home panel. It's time for lunch. Oh, God. I'm sure. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a thing. I, uh, yeah, you heard that. Um, so the Android I'm 13. I'm very proud. I, Michelle, I have to say I'm proud of you for making that. Uh, something you schedule because I have that problem. I know Ara has that problem. I'm proud of you. Uh, yeah. I, Which problem? Remembering to have lunch. I did not remember to have lunch yesterday. Oh yeah, mine, mine, mine went off at twelve fifteen <laughs> in the other room. Thankfully. So back to the point. Like one of the features they announced in a Pixel feature drop was the Home Panel feature that lets you have quicker access to your Google Home devices by tapping the button on your lock screen or the Quick Settings tile. And like, I'm I'm sure you've if you've tried it before, like you get this new, more rich UI versus the previous UI for controlling home devices. That feature was touted as like a Pixel feature drop exclusive, but in Android 14, it's available to all devices, not just Pixel features. And it wasn't mentioned in the Android 14 blog post because it was already announced for Pixel phones. It's complicated. Like, how does Google decide when to mention a feature as a Pixel feature? And when does when do they decide to mention something as a broader Android feature? And nine times out of ten, the features they announce are just pixel stuff. And it's really tough to explain this. No, this is not actually an Android feature. This is just a pixel feature. Like all those lock screen clocks, all of those are pixel exclusive. None of those are in Android. Like no other manufacturer will have those exact clocks. Lock screen shortcuts, those are in Android. Those are available to all OEMs who want to implement them, but not the lock screen clock styles so like how do you decide what's pixel exclusive how do you know what's pixel exclusive and what's not that's a challenge if michelle Rahman is confused about this i think we are all oh, I, i'm not i'm not confused I'm, I'm not I, I'm, I'm really aware no but uh how do i actually i just do not have do not have time to put together a list of every single feature that's pixel exclusive and what's not there's just too many things going on that's yeah that's a big spreadsheet but it is it is i, I think Google is kind of part of the problem in that they don't really care if you think it's Pixel exclusive or not. And I think they'd probably prefer if you associate all these features with Android and even though they're Pixel exclusive, like it kind of works to their benefit because uh, you're like, where is this feature on my Android phone? I don't have it on my Samsung when it's really a Pixel exclusive feature. Yeah. Okay, that's it. We scheduled an hour and a half. We've gone 20 minutes longer no, than that. but this is good because our longest episode could not be an episode where we're talking about Amazon products. It needed that's to true. be. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's fair. Google podcast. Michelle, before we go, you have a Patreon that has recently launched. Why don't you tell all of our listeners about uh, what value you provide uh, for, for your, their monthly fee? Yeah, so if you'd like to know what's happening in the world of Android, like what's new and like all the content that I post for basically free on social media, like yesterday I posted what, like 14 different threads about the Pixel features about Android 14. And guess what? I didn't make a single penny off of any of that. So if you want to support the work that I do, 
and you want me to keep continue to make posts like that, I'd appreciate if you could chip in and go to patreon.com slash Michelle Rahman to throw a few bucks my way. And, uh, you know, if you do, you get access to my Discord where we talk about Pixel features and things like that and Android updates. I do confirm some things like that I don't say publicly on the Discord. And also there are some exclusive posts that are only available to subscribers. So if you want access to some of that and just to support me, I'd appreciate it. That's awesome. And for our Canadian listeners, that's uh, four, $4.50 a month, apparently, because <laughs> when I go to the page, it, uh, it localizes me. All right, um, Michelle, thank you so much. Honestly, I know this is a super busy time. It was so amazing to have you. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll see your byline on AP again at some point soon. You're writing on AP, you're writing on AC, on AA, you're writing on all the A's at this point. And uh, you're also co-hosting the Android Faithful podcast. So. Anything, anything Android, I think, is, uh, <laughs> is covered by, by your distribution at this point. Uh, sorry, yeah, that's right. Someone just told me that the QPR1 beta 2 images are going live, and I'm just like, God dang it. I can't catch a break. <laughs> of course they are. Yeah, I guess that means we all have to go. Yeah, I think. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Will, Ara, thank you for being here as always. Will, get some sleep. You deserve it. I got a whole review to write. Uh, so, so no sleep for me. I got to go figure out how to make it look like I do things on the weekend instead of just, uh, lounging on the couch, uh, for two days. So my daughter got, um, like a doll that she has to take care of for the, for the next week. And the doll has to go on adventures. And then we write about the adventures in a little book. So that's me. I'm the doll. You're the, yeah, you're Chloe is what, is what's happening here. It would be kind of funny if I uploaded a review that all the, all the photos of like, Here's my TV. Uh, here's uh, here's the the Nintendo Switch I'm holding while I'm watching Seinfeld reruns. Here's um, now I'm in my kitchen. I'm getting some chips. Uh, I think w- that's a really good review format. Actually, <laughs> I think people are are gonna like that shtick. Instead of me lying that. and being like, "Look at the exciting life I live." Yeah, go to Six yep. Flags, Darien Lake. It's right near. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's October, right? It's Halloween themed probably can do some it's gonna be 54 some, degrees some, on saturday it's, it's gonna perfect, rain raining. all weekend perfect, daniel uh, perfect weather for it it's fucking great <laughs> all right that's it thank you so much for listening uh, if you'd like to check out our work we're at androidpolice.com i'm also uh, involved on xda.com which is uh, xdadevelopers.com which is uh, michelle's former site as well and also uh, covered the pixel event yesterday from a more computing perspective uh, so check that out as well. Just so you know, and I don't even think Michelle knows this, uh, the XDA forums are now on their own domain. So oh no, I, uh, I they are no longer, no longer a subdomain of XDA. They are now at xdaforums.com. If you're interested in that, please check it out. We would love to see you there. Uh, I know that there was some consternation about this change, but uh, we promise it's not because we are sunsetting XDA forums. Uh, all right, that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. Send us your feedback, podcast at androidpolice.com. We do love hearing from you. And as always, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I'll say bye. 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 (laughs) Sorry, I am just so... Waiting for Aura. I'm like, Aura, we have an order. (laughs) We do have an order.